values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, appreciate you spending some time on the show. All eyes have been on New York City or were on New York City yesterday afternoon. And then Mar-a-Lago in Florida as the former president responded to charges in which he pled not guilty to 34 felony charges out of the state of New York. The DA Alvin Bragg says that they have got a great case. Other experts are questioning whether or not there's any meat in these uh, in these uh, charges. So joining us now is KTIR host and Valley attorney Barry Markson. Barry, welcome. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mike. So um, uh, your legal mind is necessary here for the layperson. I've, I've got eight stories in front of me, and seven of, seven of them say this is a really weak case. There's a New York Times story that say there's a really strong case here. When you break it down legally, what do you see in this? Well, uh, there's 34 different uh, felonies now of allegations of, of uh uh, you know, business uh, issues with their with the documents. I think the case for that is probably strong, but that's generally not generally that's a misdemeanor. To get it to a felony, uh, what Alvin Bragg has done is said uh, that it was done to hide or lie about other crimes, either in the commission of other crimes or to further other crimes. I, I think that part's a bit of a stretch. Um, you know, he's he made a point of pointing out, and other people have said that the DA's office there uses this. It's the most frequent white-collar crime they allege and charge people with in New York, and he's done it apparently over 100 or hundreds of times just since he's been in office, which has been about two years. So it's not an unusual crime for them to prosecute, uh, but making it into a felony, I think, is a little bit more unusual. So we know that the Trump team says they are going to ask that all charges be thrown out. What are the chances that some or all of these charges get thrown out? Well, most of the charges, I mean, there's 34 of them, but it's really based on the fact that these payments were made to Stormy Daniels and uh, McDougal. And then apparently there's a third person now. Um, those those were made and they were documented in business records from the Trump organization. So it's, if they were to get thrown out, it would have to be towards the intent of whether former President Trump knew about the 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 business, uh, the fraudulent business uh, records, uh, or uh, to throw out the felony aspect of it because he's unable, the, the DA is unable to link the actual misdemeanor charge to these other charges. And if you remember before yesterday, we were talking about how he was going to try to link it to election charges, but that's a federal crime and the state doesn't do that. He's saying that it's it's linked to New York election law. And there's an obvious argument there that this is a presidential election. It's a federal election, not a state election. So there's there's issues there that are certainly ripe for a motion to dismiss. Whether some or all of them are dismissed, we'll have to wait and see. When you what does the timeline look like? You've got 34 charges. His his legal team now starts looking into this. What will the timeline look like for them to answer some of this? And when could we realistically, even if they said we want to do this as quickly as possible, what's the likelihood that this goes to a courtroom and when? Yeah, it's it, well, they've said that the next hearing in court is, is not going to occur until December 4th, which was eight months after uh, eight months from yesterday uh, when this happened. And that trial would be set sometime potentially in January or the spring of 2024. You have to remember that the prosecutors have been working on this for a long time. They've had a grand jury. They've brought in witnesses. They've done interviews. They have all this information, whereas Trump and his attorneys don't have any of it. So this will be disclosed now. The prosecutors have to provide to Trump and his attorneys all of the information that they have, all of the witnesses, all of the documents, everything. And then Trump's attorneys will go through that. 
And then they can go and interview people. There could be depositions. Uh, they can bring in experts to talk about the records. There's a whole lot of work to be done. It, it's it's kind of, it's not really even at this point because the prosecutors have had it so long. So uh, I think it's fair to say there certainly won't be a trial in the case until sometime oh. next year. I think we'll see motions to dismiss filed uh, potentially in the next several months, but it may take over four or five months as they do their, their work, the lawyers do their work to figure out the, the basis and the weight of what the prosecutors have presented. So it's it's going to it's going to drag out a little bit. And the other thing I'll just I'll just point out, Mike, is I don't think this is a big surprise. Um, you know, President Trump's been doing business for forty plus years, and there's a history here. And it, historically, his lawyers have done uh, a lot of a lot of things. They file a lot of motions. They do things that you could say it's for delay or make sure he, he's all of his rights are being protected. I certainly expect that to happen here. So the delay could drag on even more than, than what we're talking about as a schedule now. All right, so then let's go to the what everybody's been asking. What happens if he wins the nomination for president and may even, may even wins the presidency and there has been no resolution to this case yet because of delays? It's a great question. And it's, you know, whether or not the judge at that point will say we're going to stay or postpone any trial on this because we're not going to put the president of the United States on trial. He has other more important things to deal with. I could absolutely see that happening. Um, you know, another possibility is he could, the trial could occur. And let's just say for the sake of our discussion that he's convicted and, and he's, he's put in jail, which, by the way, I don't think is going to happen from these charges. Um, can he be the president of the United States while he's in jail? How do we do that exactly? Um, so there's there's a lot of questions here. I, I do think it's important to point out, though, and I've, I've seen this from New York criminal attorneys who said these types of charges are very, very unlikely to result in jail time for a first-time offender um, like Trump. So I, I find it to be very difficult to believe that we're going to go through this, even if he's convicted, that he could end up with, a, with any actual jail time. Not to say he couldn't. If he's found guilty of 34 felonies, is, you know that could that could result in jail time if, if all of that is is, uh, is carried forward. But um, you know these are these are it's a, it's a crime and, a, and and all crimes should be prosecuted. But I think we should put in perspective even the felonies that have been alleged are what they call in New York Class E felonies. It's the they're the weakest or the lightest of all felony charges. KTAR host and Valley attorney Barry Markson is joining us. So when you is it I, I don't know the legalities of this, but is it possible that the prosecution here, the D.A. is charging felonies with the hope of a plea negotiation to get them to a plead to a bunch of misdemeanors and at least get something on record that the former president committed some crimes? You know, it, it's a great question, Mike, and that's we see that all the time, right? In normal criminal stuff, where the prosecutors will charge all sorts of stuff, they kind of you know you can call it overcharging, with the plan of well, he'll just plead guilty to one small felony or to one misdemeanor, and it goes away. So the question is, would would Trump ever plead if he was given an offer to plead to one fraudulent business records misdemeanor with no with no jail time and he just pays a small fine? Would he do that? My guess is no. <laughs> Not while he's running for office, um, but but that would normally be the case. Here, I don't know that President Trump is really going to be in a position politically uh, to do that sort of thing. If he wasn't running for office or if he doesn't win the primary and this is still going on, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, that would that would normally be something that would occur, I think, in almost any other normal prosecution like this. When you look at these charges, um, is it the same kind of crime he's being accused of just different times? Is that where we get 34 from? Or is there a lot of different things that they say he's done wrong? 
it's, it's really the same thing over and over again, although it is in, with three different people. So, for example, the Stormy Daniels part of this, um, it's 130,000 payments, but the, the fraudulent business records are multiple payments to Michael Cohen to, as the prosecutor alleges, to reimburse Cohen for payments he made to Stormy Daniels on Trump's behalf in that in that hush money uh, situation. Um, and really, the money was being paid to AMI, uh, which is the publisher of the National Enquirer. I think you're going to see the, the publisher of the National Enquirer become almost more of a star witness than Michael Cohen here, because all of this was run through them in that kind of catch and kill uh, plan where they bought these stories about Trump and then is, and then didn't run them. Is it? So, um, I'm sorry. Is it? Uh, is the accusation here the crime in that situation? Is it because he used personal funds instead of campaign funds? And that, with the accusation, is that this should have been listed as a campaign expenditure? Well, there's there's two parts of it. So one is he used business funds to pay it, not not personal funds, but business funds funds from the Trump organization. And then in the business records, he, he listed it as an expense, as a legal expense. And you, when you do that, you get a benefit for tax purposes. It, that's the part that's the fraudulent business record. That's the actual underlying charge. And then the other part of that is he's using business or you know, we can call it personal funds uh, to benefit his campaign that he was doing. The argument is he was doing this uh, to, to because at that time it was after the uh, Access Hollywood tape and they were concerned about female voters. They didn't want you know, reports of the adultery and other things out there. So they were buying this to benefit the campaign and yet did not disclose it as a campaign finance contribution. So that's the other side of it. So it's, it's kind of both. Barry, I got to tell you, I could talk to you about this all day because of your depth of knowledge when it comes to the legalities. It's kind of taking the emotion out. And what are we really looking at? So I hope you'll come back and talk some more about this in the coming days, because this is obviously a long way from over and a long way from us not talking about it again. That's for sure. Thanks, Mike. Happy to come on anytime. All right. Thanks. That's Barry Marks, and he's a host here at KTAR. He's also a very highly respected Valley attorney. Uh, just a little bit of the legalities of this. What does this really mean legally? Coming up in a moment, how is the world reacting to what happened yesterday? I can tell you it's not good, but I'll tell you what some of the world leaders have had to say. It's coming up in just a moment. <laughs> Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, the world is watching. Uh, when you are the world's most powerful economy, and the U.S. has been, and it still is, in comparison with the Chinese, it is very close as they are gaining ground, and it's always back and forth, but we still are the world power. And with that comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of attention. We, I would say, as Americans, we do not pay nearly the attention to international politics as other nations pay to American politics. I don't know a great deal about British or Italian or French politics. Talk about leadership a little bit, but the inner workings that are politics, not something that we pay much of attention to. But when you go to Europe, Europeans really pay attention to American politics. And it's not just in Europe, it's other countries as well. So there's a story how Trump's arraignment is being watched around the world, what people are saying. There's an interesting story from the president of El Salvador. This is an interesting take. The El Salvador president says America cannot lecture other countries on democracy after the Trump indictment. 
Um, he's lost all arguments when it comes to the concept of democracy in the midst of the Trump indictment. Last week, when it was announced, he said, imagine if this happened to a leading opposition presidential candidate here in El Salvador. He later added, sadly, it'll be very hard for U.S. foreign policy to use the argument such as democracy and free and fair elections or try to condemn political persecution in other countries from now on. And I thought it was an interesting take because I want you to take the headlines you've read about Donald Trump, no matter where you fall, no matter what you think of Donald Trump. And put it in Russia. When I when a political opponent of Vladimir Putin falls out a window, when someone running for office or is considered to be a dissident or someone that is an opposition leader gets thrown in jail, never to be seen from again. It's been very famous and very documented in Cuba that people that oppose the communist regime, especially under Fidel Castro, when Fidel was alive and in power. Um, what do we say as Americans when a political uh, opponent gets thrown in prison? Gets arrested, gets accused of crimes. We call it a banana republic. That's what we call it. Is the world viewing America that way now? Whether you believe or it turns out to be accurate or not, how is it being viewed? Now, to those of you out there that are saying, who cares what other countries think? I would venture to say this. You are the very people that say it matters what the international world. If you remember, the opponents of Donald Trump were very concerned about our reputation in the world. It's one of the reasons why we had to elect Joe Biden to get our standing in the world back, to renew our reputation. So you can't now turn your back and say it doesn't matter what other countries think. It mattered a great deal to you when you were voting for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. But how does the world respond to this? How fearful is the world? It is interesting to consider how the world views the U.S. We are in some places a necessary evil, meaning the strength of our economy, the strength of our military, our power is something they need. Other other nations' economies are very dependent on our economy. And our economy has a huge influence on the rest of the world, as does the Chinese economy. When we see what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, and we see how China is visiting, the leader of President Xi is visiting Vladimir Putin in the same way that President Biden visited President Zelensky, it looks as if the two major world powers are now setting on opposite sides of a a battlefield, and people are wondering what's going to happen next. But it is an interesting look at how the world is viewing the U.S. And is the president of El Salvador right? Is the rest of the world where we've looked at some of the elections, what we didn't recognize, and I don't think we still really do, but at the time it was absolutely we did not. We did not recognize the government of Iran. The Ayatollahs came in and they deposed the Shah in the 1970s. The Shah of Iran was deposed. We had a very healthy relationship with the Iranian government under the Shah of Iran. We did a military deal for almost a billion dollars in which we were going to sell arms to that nation. When the Ayatollahs came in, when the revolution happened and it became a religious leadership in that country, we did not recognize that government as the official government. As a matter of fact, we did not give that that country their money back for the weapons because we said it wasn't rightfully theirs. We also didn't recognize we didn't send them the weapons. That was that over a billion dollars that was sent to Iran that wasn't that wasn't to ransom anybody. It was repayment for the money we owed them during the Obama administration. So there are times when we look at when a country doesn't elect its leaders in the way we deem to be fair, we call them a banana republic and we don't recognize that government. 
how is the rest of the world viewing America now? It's fascinating. I think it's interesting. In a moment, a major drop in private sector job growth in March. Where does this leave our economy? We'll discuss that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, the conflict in policy, this is the thing I think we should be talking about as Americans, what works and what doesn't. That's my opinion. We get involved in the emotion of our politics. We get emotionally invested in our politicians, which makes us defend them like parents at a Little League baseball game. And so instead of looking at the, the, the facts of the situation, um, and I think that's a fair analogy. How many times have you been, and I got to tell you, as an older brother of a kid that was a superstar athlete, um, my little, my youngest brother, I almost said littlest, my youngest brother was a superstar athlete from Little League through high school and then played college football and baseball. Um, and I was that older brother. I was immersed and coached and screamed and yelled and um, like everybody else does. But we all knew those parents. That were the overbearing, get thrown out of the game, scream and yell, threaten people, and they just get so worked up over Little League Baseball. And you think, dude, calm down, or or, or woman, calm down. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that are actually happening and, and what – You or I, maybe we differ on what some of the solutions are or what some of the wrong things to do are. Private sector job growth tumbled in March to 145,000, worse than expected. Hiring of U.S. companies slowed more than expected in March, pointing to a labor market that is starting to cool in the face of higher interest rates. Uh, The job openings, the JOLTS job openings data fell to a 21-month low in February. Um, There is another one. The U.S. warehouse capital uh, boomed during the pandemic. It's now facing a slowdown. And we've got gas prices going through uh, the roof. So I want you to hear, let's start with gas prices. Then we'll go to some of the solutions that are being proposed and some things that people are saying. This is Anna Stansfield from Cronkite News talking about the price of fuel. Arizona has some of the highest prices at the pump. If you look just next door at prices in New Mexico, they're paying 90 cents less a gallon. Keep going east to Texas and they're paying $1.15 less per gallon. Part of it is the blend of gasoline we use, the cost to make it, the cost to refine it, the cost to deliver it. Um, and let's talk about gas prices. This is the same, same person, Anna Stansfield from Cronkite News, and where we were one year ago. A year ago, we were paying an average of four sixty-five at the pump. So even if it doesn't really feel like it, we're still doing a little better than we were a year ago. And we are watching those prices rise. Now I want to talk about solutions. One local, one national, and it has to do with policy. I'm going to start nationally. Nancy Pelosi did a sit down with a former first lady, former senator, former secretary of state, former presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton, and was talking about taxes. What you'd hear about this taxes and our democracy and the good people that don't want to pay more in taxes. I mean, do you know some really wonderful people, well-educated, maybe even some of them in this excellent institution, who are great, they're successful, nice people and all that, and the boom, they're way on the other side of our democracy in our own country. Why? Because they don't want to pay more taxes? So... 
it has to do with our democracy and paying taxes. Um, we tax what we want less of. We subsidize what we want more of. That's been an adage not made up by Americans. That's kind of the way things are. Um, in Arizona, what we have done in the last 10 years is focused on making this a more business-friendly place to be. Low-income tax state, keep more of your profits. The state finds other ways to get its revenue, but they're not doing it in income tax. Nancy Pelosi equates patriotism in our democracy with, um, along with taxes. And it is interesting to me how this continues to be the mindset. We already know that expenses for small businesses right now, fuel costs, labor costs, material costs are through the roof. It's more expensive to run a business now. There has never been more concern, never been more concern in small business owners in inflation than right now. And what is the solution? We still need to pay more in taxes. This is about you paying your fair share. That blows my mind. Here's another side of this. This also local. I kind of lamented with the city of Phoenix recently. The city of Phoenix uh, decided they were going to pass regulations on what's called prevailing wage. Uh, if you're in construction, you're very familiar with prevailing wage. It means that they are going to make you pay. You are going to have to pay uh, more money to contract workers when they're working on government projects. So if it's a city project, if you're going to build a city building and right across the street, you're going to build the exact same building with a private contractor. You're going to spend a lot less money on with that private contractor for the same quality and the same building by the same construction workers. But the city has decided we're going to pay prevailing wage. It's a nice way of saying we're going to spend more money because we think we should, but it's your tax dollars. Tempe is proposing doing the same thing. The headline is Tempe wants to give some workers a raise, but it could come with hidden costs. There's nothing hidden about the costs. This is my point. Well-intentioned people, instead of demonizing, which I try never to do, well-intentioned people that want to see people being able to keep up with inflation and they want to see the working people in this country, which I have been my entire life, they want to see working people be able to maintain quality of life. But when you arbitrarily raise the own price of what you're going to pay for, it's like if you had your home built, if you had a home built and you decided, let's say you were going to build a spec home. You had some money, bought a little piece of land and you said, I'm going to build a spec house. I'm going to build this home and I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to make some money, make a profit on this house. And uh, then I'm going to go buy another one. I'm going to do the same thing. But you decide, you know, the construction world here in Arizona is pretty competitive. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use material. That is of a higher grade than is necessary. And I'm going to make sure that I tell all of the subcontractors, the general contractor that builds the home, or if I'm going to be the general, I'm going to tell the subcontractors, you've got to prove to me. I want the paperwork. You've got to show me that you are paying all of your employees a higher wage. We're going to dictate what that wage is called prevailing wage based on union scale. And we're going to do that when I build this home. And now I'm going to eat the extra cost because I believe that's the right thing to do. How many people are going to do that? The answer is no one. You're going to build a quality home and you're going to pay a fair price, whatever the fair market price is to build that building. It's governments that say, oh, it's it's tax dollars. It's your this the same Nancy Pelosi federally that says you're not a patriot if you don't want to pay more taxes. Never mind how they squander it. Never mind how there's no accountability. Never mind the waste and redundancy. If you aren't in favor of paying more taxes, it has something to do with your patriotism and our democracy. 
Uh, it's the same mindset that says we are spending tax dollars. So let's, you know what? That waitress was great. Let's tip her 30% or 35% on the company credit card because she was terrific. It's pretty nice being that generous when the boss is writing the check. And this is the problem with these prevailing wage ideas and the ideology behind how we stop or how we dig ourselves out of these holes. It's a big issue. It is an ideological difference I have, and I just think if we pay attention to it along those lines, none of it makes any sense. I, and, I mean, there are people that are going to disagree with me wholeheartedly, but I think the average person, when they look at this and they say, you know what? The city of Phoenix is doing it. Now Tempe is contemplating doing it, and the people that live in Tempe and Phoenix that are already paying taxes and wondering how we're going to fix our problems and what we're going to do our, about our budget, finding out that city-built projects are now going to cost a lot more money because the city-mandated pay increase for the construction workers while you're writing those checks with our tax dollars, I don't think that's going to be received well by the taxpayers in your city, nor should it. In a moment, um, we have good news on water levels in the Southwest. I'll give you details in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card and spoil your pets. Uh, KTIR's Paw, Paw Picks promotion is going on. You can send a photo of your pet. You can win a KTAR Paw Pick contest. Submit your photo at KTAR.com slash contest. A different pet photo will be randomly drawn each month, and that pet will be named KTAR's Paw Pick Pet of the Month. Say that ten times fast. Um, what is good news, not good news? Such a weird question, but we continue to hear this. Um, water levels at Lake Mead rise and defies projections. This drives the the um, activists, not people. Listen, I have I have levels of disagreement with people. Life is like a concentric circles. You know what I mean? There are people that I vehemently disagree with. There are people that I moderately disagree with. You know, there are people that I agree with a little bit, but. The activists are the ones that are so impassioned about something that when it goes against their narrative, it's not good news, even if it's good news. Um, Las Vegas. When it comes to water in Lake Mead, every little bit helps, right? According to the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation and most probable 24-month study published in March, Lake Mead was projected to have dropped approximately 1,043 feet above sea level. Dropped to that level. But as of Monday, Lake Mead's water level was at 1,045, almost 46, almost three feet above projected levels. Now, we should be dancing in the streets. We should. That doesn't mean that it's over. It doesn't mean that it's not at historically low levels. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned, especially if you're one of the mafiosos that buried through a body in the lake. You're still worried about it being found. But this is good news. But the problem is what it hurts. Here's what it hurts. The scientists, and I did the air quotes, scientists that are trying to sell you the bill of goods on climate change, that climate change is causing the drought and the drought is never going to end and we're all going to die. So anytime there's even a temporary reversal, all of the reservoirs in Arizona are full. The largest reservoir in California, in Southern California, full. Lake Mead already going up. No runoff yet. We haven't seen the runoff yet. 
and we are still seeing positive direction. Yes, it's only one year, but it's positive. Here's the reason why I think this is an issue. Um, Hawaii is mulling fees for ecotourism crush. So when you go to Hawaii, it's humans that are the problem. And if you're a human and you want to see the beauty of Hawaii, you should have to pay an extra tax because of what you're doing to the environment. Now, how you paying taxes fixes the environment, I have no idea. And neither do they. But somehow, paying more money fixes the problem. This is the other one. Americans can go can no longer rely upon the warm glow patented by Thomas Edison, deemed ineffect, inefficient and out, uh, outmoded by the state. Instead, they will now have to use LED light bulbs. The Biden administration, in addition to the onslaught of trying to get rid of gas stoves because they've been killing people for centuries, they're now going after incandescent light bulbs. This is all a part of the agenda. As I've said many times, this administration sees the agenda of climate change as the number one crisis the world is facing. It's not China. It's not Russia. It's not the price of fuel because of what OPEC is doing. It's not the threat from the nukes from North Korea. It's none of those things. It's not the fact that China is trying to become the default currency on the planet bit by bit, little by little, negotiating with countries to get rid of our currency being the default currency with the Saudis. They've done a negotiation with other nations. They're doing this negotiation. None of that's more important. What's most important is climate change. And anytime you see a story that reverses their narrative on any level – And I'll go back to the one I talked about most recently, that in October – you can look this up. I'm not making up numbers. In October of last year, which is just a few months ago, you got November, December, January, February, March, April, six months ago. The prediction for the winter, which would have been January, February, March, the prediction for the winter months – was that the southwestern United States was going to suffer excessive drought, continued dry conditions. It was going to worsen the drought we've had in the southwest. That was the prediction a few months ago. They were so wrong. This has been one of the wettest winters on record. Why in the world are you and I supposed to believe their predictions that have been wrong since the 70s of what is going to happen within the next seven to 10 years if we don't make dramatic changes in how we live our lives. And that's the way it always is. It's dramatic changes in how human beings live their lives is what is the change that's necessary to fix these problems. And we have a finite amount of time. If we don't do it right now, we're doomed. We are doomed. The most famous environmentalist on this planet was a girl that was just 15 years old when she became a household name named Greta Thunberg. We were listening to a 15-year-old at a big world summit on climate. She just deleted a tweet that was five years old because five years before that, she tweeted out something that said, if we don't change the way we behave dramatically and change everything within the next five years, the planet will be irreversibly damaged. Well, once that five-year mark passed, remember the people that said that paid attention to the Mayan calendar or Y2K and all these people that – and there's religions that get made fun of because they have chosen because they believe that God has told them that the world is coming to an end end on this specific date and the believers in that religion follow those religious leaders and that day comes and goes and they go back and they say, well, we miscalculated. Here's what we did wrong. It's going to be this date. How many times do you follow that date before you say, come on, 
We don't know when the day and the hour is going to be. I want clean water. I want clean air. I want us to reverse the problems we have. This environmental activism, this is an example of it. They are upset. This should be great news. This should be great news. And instead, don't get your hopes up. It's not that good yet. Just after 10 o'clock, all eyes in New York City. Former President Trump was arraigned. We'll let you hear from a legal expert, and we'll hear from the president next.